0: Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at it's like, Oh yeah, that's the Messiah. Now he comes dirty, he's dragging through the mud, he's using mud to heal people. Um, he's also walking to the cross. Now I know in this kind of uh, message, people can like brace for all of the graphic images of Jesus on the cross. I don't even think that does anything for us anymore. Like, I don't think the graphic bit of Jesus having his body torn apart, or having his blood poured out, I don't even know if that does anything for us anymore. Look at Game of Thrones. Like, you watch something like that, it's way more gruesome in its imagery. But I think it is something important about us meditating on just how scandalous it was. And there's very few comparisons in our modern day life I can say exactly what that scandal meant, but I'm going to try today, doggone it. <laughs> so I'm going to start by reading uh, from Luke 23. It's kind of a long passage. Uh, this is the passion narrative, the very core and center of the passion narrative. I just put the verse up there, you know, so you got to do a little work. So in 23, it reads, But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. That was miraculous that they let go. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Serenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming where they will say, Blessed are the barren, wounds that never bore, and breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us, for they, do not, for they do these things in a green wood. What will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do they divided his garments and cast lots and the people stood looking on but even the rulers with them sneered saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the Christ the chosen of God the soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and saying if you are the king of the Jews save yourself and then the description also was written over him with letters of Greek Latin and Hebrew this is the king of the Jews Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, You are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and a veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly. This was a righteous man, and all the whole crowd who came together to see that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts in return. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. This is an excruciating death by any stretch of the imagination. The word excruciating means pain, and its core is the crux, which we get crucifixion from. The very word for pain is the cross. It it was the pinnacle of what it meant to suffer. And most of us get the opportunity, the benefit, I don't know, of suffering in secret or in silence or in private. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with God, determining is this your will that I go, going to have to do this? I don't know if he saw every detail of what he was going to have to go through, but he knew there was some darkness coming ahead. Gethsemane, we know, means pressed, that he was being pressed, that there was something that was happening in a spirit, that he was going to have to go through the most scandalous way to die that has ever been created by man on earth. Beyond who to be left on the cross to die, and some people took two or three days to die. There, body flayed and flesh going in all directions, to be picked at by birds and swarmed by flies. It was an attempt to shame him at the least. According to Cicero, it's not respectable for a Roman citizen to even discuss crucifixion. It wasn't something you did for citizens. So we could say now maybe it was like an execution. It was like the electric chair, or maybe it was like a lethal injection. But those can happen to American citizens. Those can happen to citizens of countries, and other ones maybe it was a firing squad, or where they still hang people, or maybe it's a victim or someone of Sharia law. But this wasn't even used on Roman citizens. It's for the lowest dregs of society beyond scandalous and you wouldn't even talk about it if you considered yourself cultured or you considered yourself a person of any kind of honor excruciating and Jesus is being pressed and he's suffering in private. but I think um, at the root of this Is God attempting to redeem the very way to death. So suffering is us bearing shame privately, but scandal is us experiencing shame publicly. And we live in a place where we all react very differently to scandal. And then we all react very similarly to scandal. And the Me Too movement, which has been great for empowering people to have a voice, and to expose these instances of sexual assault and sexual abuse that have been happening in private areas for a long time. Now they're exposed to the world for everyone to see. But then we go, all right, whoever was a part of that scandal is canceled. They're officially locked into that scandal. That's that's what they're going to be known for for the rest of their lives. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or it's another pastor or somebody else who's been locked in these these things that they've done have been horrible. This is the very environment that Jesus chose to redeem us all in. An utter and complete scandal to where all, we just read it, all of his followers had to look for it from a distance. Peter would say, there's no way I'm going to deny you, Jesus, until I figure out that what they're about to do is to crucify you. Then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do exactly what I said I wasn't going to do because I see how brutal crucifixion is. I see what it's going to mean for me to be numbered. And those were the conditions under which the world existed and still exists to this day. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 22, I'm going to read to 25. This is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, the first place where Christians were actually called Christians. As I like to say, sometimes you can tell by how bad a church was like right, how long the letters were. <laughs> <laughs> Corinthians got two letters, so like, y'all tripping in there. <laughs> the Ephesians got one of with six chapters. They were really good, the perfect church. Go <laughs> like, and well, I'll, something else I was gonna tell you, too. <sighs> in 22 it says, for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified and the Jews a stumbling block into the Greek foolishness, but to those who are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'll read that again. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block into the Greeks' foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God being completely empty of what this world would call power is stronger than any man. The foolishness of God, with that word for stumbling block, is scandalized. Scandal. What's the word "scandal" come from? Scandaline. It means a trap, an ensnarement, a way for us to walk directly into a trap. Is to embrace scandal. And what a scandal—an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. That sounds like the world we live in. The moral police come riding along so we can point a finger at someone and shame them and say, oh, you fell into the trap. I would never fall into the trap. But since you did, I'm going to persecute you all the same. And we like to think of the story of Jesus walking to the cross. Where are we in the narrative? Where do we see ourselves in that narrative? Certainly, we don't see ourselves where we belong, which is spitting on him, punching him in the face. We don't see ourselves there. We see ourselves somewhere in the heavenly, like looking at this narrative, so touched that Easter is coming. <laughs> but we're there on the ground, a part of this public outrage and most of the people who were there don't even know why they there. they're just pissed because the word has come from a crowd that says crucify him and I was like oh I like how that sounds, yeah let's do that, yeah let's all stand in the crowd and do that and before long Jesus is like four or five hours. All of this happened in that time where he's whipped, he's sent to Herod, brought back from Herod to Pilate, all these like you can read it. I encourage you to read it between now and Easter. But really you should read it every day to understand that this is something that is continually happening, happening. The reviling Of God's people. And imagine being Jesus walking, and every single step is meant to strip His humanity from Him. To make sure that when you cast your stone or when you say something really nasty to Him, understand that you are taking something that would never be given back. Stripped of all. Says in Isaiah that there was nothing lovely that him to look at; that he was barely, he looked barely human. The passion of the Christ is, you know, pretty gruesome. I don't even think that's close to what actually looked like. There's a movie out that just came out, Just Mercy. And it talks about um, the death row inmates and all the things that the, the conditions, the kind of conditions that they have to go through, you're baking in the summer, you're freezing in the winter, um, which I can't even imagine people who were still fighting for their lives and they're within 20 minutes of being executed. And they're innocent that within 20 minutes of being executed, having the needle ejected to them, and then somebody calls on the phone and says, stop, stop. They're not going to get executed now, the judge has granted them. Like, right now, I can guarantee you there are people who are being tortured by this country for our safety. We are reenacting the same thing right now. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. But we stand as morally right and believe that we we're justified by our actions, as I believe that everybody thought they were justified by the actions of crucifying Jesus. And he was innocent, he had done nothing. Normally, what happens for Shame to become a scandal is it happens in private. It, like, it builds in private. Something that someone has been holding on to in private and then it comes to public and everybody reviles and says, oh, see, we knew that. There was none of that with Jesus. The scandal was the public occurrence. It was, it was no conspiracy in private that became public. But all the public needed was somebody who was standing next to him." To say that he was guilty and that he should die. And everyone just you know in. In the 90s, there was this rap group, this record company is called Death Row Records. Now, Death Row Records is the picture's kinda of hard to see, but Death Row Records had people like Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Dr. Dre, I mean, they were selling. Tens of millions of records, super popular and their logo was a man in a lecture chair and enc- encrusted with diamonds and it became sort of like a prophetic declaration of what was going to happen because Tupac was assassinated, other people were killed, sent to prison. The guy who founded this company is in prison for 20 30 years or something like that. That it was an attempt, the only attempt that I've seen to resurrect something as gruesome, some instrument of death, and make it beautiful. You see crosses everywhere now. Made of gold and, you know, made of silver and with diamonds in them. I, I don't know if there's an equivalent because if you think about executions that happen in electric chair to this day—they happen in private. They happen somewhere like tucked over to the side where our day is not destroyed. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. Like this was in a major city hub that you're having someone carry their cross completely bloodied, so they can be scandalized and scorned and revived. I would wonder what Jesus would say about this, what he would say about his, the way that he's been treated. Good thing he did. <laughs> and Luke, because he's prophetic, he knew what was gonna happen. And Luke 47 to 49, it's a part of the seven woes. This is Jesus talking to the teachers and the Pharisees and telling them exactly what they're, what's on their hearts. Although they're pretending to be a certain way in public, he's telling them exactly who they are. Now, tell me if this doesn't sound like the world we live in today. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. We build tombs and memorials for the people our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-great-grandfathers persecuted and killed. There's something about time. It, it domesticates how <laughs> evil we can be. We romanticize time. We we no longer see ourselves standing there saying crucify him. The word crucified in its root means sorrow, to stand. Of quality, one who does not hesitate and one who does not waver. That even being in that situation, knowing that his blood was being poured out for the very people who were assisting in his death. The only equivalent I can even think about is the same one that James Cone thought, thought about, it's the lynching tree. That's, you know. 60 years ago? 70 years ago? 80 years ago? But we distance ourselves and time domesticates our role in this sort of activity that can be co-signed by people who love Jesus. It says in Deuteronomy that curse is he who hangs on a tree. So it Jesus being crucified wasn't just like, let's kill him. Well, we're going to strip away his humanity as well. We're going to make anybody who follows him or even thinks about being near him a curse. And it was enough to keep every single one of the disciples silent. When they had said, I will die with you. Everybody was talking. Everybody was talking over each other when it was time to speak about who was going to sit at his right hand. Yeah, I'm there with you. Yeah, the party, I'm there. But when it comes time to pay the piper, nobody is there. When it becomes time to be numbered with someone who is scandalous, nobody is there. We are quick to remove any bit of scandal from our environment. too bad it's not a smell and it's not a substance, it's people normally that we don't want to be reminded of all that got them here. But we have to remember when we look at the cross what it means. It means there was nothing about our redemption that was clean. It was nothing about us that is clean. We are still those people, apparently. We're still those who want to just like get rid of people and sweep them to the side. That's who we are, whether it's because we don't have time or whether it's because we don't have the emotional, mental capacity. Of who we are But there is a reason That Jesus said love your enemies Because they are helping you And stretching you Into who you will become Into who you need to become So if you get rid of them How are you going to become Who you're supposed to become If Jesus says love your enemies He's really saying Have no enemies You need them it is strange that sometimes the tactics of the Lord and of the enemy look exactly the same. Different purposes. Jesus gets led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And who's there? The enemy. like, hey man, let me, uh, let me get you to stumble. Let me get you to mess up. I'm going to destroy you. Jesus was sent into the wilderness to destroy the works of the devil. The devil thought he was gone so he could destroy him. And when you think about it, that's that's kind of what scandal is. There's nothing that God cannot use to make us really into who we're called to become. Nothing, so what are we so afraid of? He's afraid of us. He's so simple, you know, if you want to know what the devil's tactics look like, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wow, I'm a mortal. (laughs) Seated with Christ in heavenly places. You can't kill me. You can only make me stronger. What are we so afraid of? Offending someone? That we marvel at these supernatural disciples and apostles who could walk through all kinds of persecution. How could they do that? They knew who they were. They knew who God had made them to be. Jesus settled it in the garden. It's like, Okay, all right, God, uh, take this, please. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't hear me last time. <laughs> please take this away from me. Okay, this is what I have to do. It settles. identity. There's no place that you can get your identity outside of the presence of God. Not your friends. Not your family. Not your books. Not your school. Not your church. You can only get your identity from the presence of God. and Then you will start to see this world is upside down. And, and what can the world do to you? What can they take from you? What can they give to you that will give you a warped sense of who you're called to be? And now for the great apex of Jesus. Jesus, this whole time, it's like, yep. You should be. Sh- we all have these things in our past that we're supposed to be ashamed from, ashamed of, and many things that we are innocent of. Things that people did to us. Things that we weren't even there. We take on the shame of our parents. Things that happened when we were in the womb and our brother tells these stories about us and we take on the shame. Like, the enemy is always attempting to put this garment on, but I'm going to give you a little secret sauce about how Jesus rejected it. Let's see Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." He endured the cross and he despised the shame. The root of that word, despise, is silence. He couldn't hear shame. That's crazy. <laughs> so, turn to your neighbor and say, you gotta punch that sucker in the mini You gotta say it like that too. In the mini man the Fro root the despiser to put to silence The voices that are attempting to tell you lies that means this garment of shame is yours. How how did he silence that? He knew his God and he knew who he was. I got nothing, no other solution for you better than that. Just go before your father and let him tell you you who you are. Because as long as you are hearing it from somebody else, your tendency to compare yourself will be high. Because your individuality comes From the Father who's created you and made you uniquely for a purpose and for a reason. Silence and puts it to shame. That Jesus dealt with that shame in private so that none of the things that people did to him could stick. Teflon. The spit was just rolling off, you know what I'm saying? Torn apart on the cross. The most brutal punishment that one could imagine. Being hung on a tree, but knowing that I walk around with me inside of me, the dying body of Christ. Therefore, I know that there is no scandal, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, neither height, nor death, nor nothing in the future, nor nothing in the present, nor angels, nor principalities, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Amen. Amen. But what can separate me is when I join the crowd. And I say, crucify him. Give me all the grace, God. Forgive me for all that I've done. Crucify him. And Jesus is praying, forgive him, Father. A process that's so brutal that it could instill fear in a disciples that they would stand at a distance and shake their head and wonder what went wrong. And why are we still waiting for Jesus to pull up an amelie, smelling like money, ready to give us all of our destiny on a silver platter? He hides our treasure and scandal. He hides our destiny and destitution. He will take what has been gruesome and make it glorious. What has been terrible, torturous, and make it a treasure. This is what he does. This is why it's important for us to feed ourselves on the story, because it's not just a story, it is a play, it is a drama, it is a cosmic saga that is being told over and over and over again. Everybody thinks they're smarter than their parents, or everybody thinks they're like going through something new, that nobody could possibly understand what they're going through right now. there is wisdom in us knowing that God will never leave us nor forsake us even into the end of the world. You. Brad, you want to come up? I want to pray for a couple of people um, a couple of things. God in his sovereignty and in his beauty seeks to silence shame while the devil seeks to silence us. That we will not tell him who he is. A sucker. Everybody's so afraid. Like Jesus didn't do all of that so we could be afraid. Or that he could hold and the dangle these things over our head. Because the Son has set free is free indeed. Now I know there are things that we still walk through in sanctification, that the Holy Spirit is working in us a new reality that includes breaking habits off of us and breaking um, behaviors off of us. But that doesn't mean that shame has to come with it. So I feel like that the enemy has been dangling shame in particular over some people, over things that have happened in the past, things that you were innocent from, or things that you were guilty from. And I want to pray for you right now. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to pray a prayer um, for those things to be removed. And I know you're in public, and it seems scandalous to stand because of shame that you feel. And shame is going to say, Oh, everything is going to be horrible if we stand up and everybody knows. Ah. But the Holy Spirit is here. And he just wants to know what heart seeks to target. Yes, he can do it in the sea, But this is a garment that of Jesus Christ that makes a way for us